Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Here I am. How very nice to see you. How is things this morning? This evening? This, this evening. evening. This is quite late for you, isn't it? Uh, well, it's eight o'clock. This, eight is, o'clock. this is as late oh, as we okay. go. We were just discussing our ongoing schedule and um, these time zones are killing us. It's just... <laughs> Most people we, we podcast bet, with now yeah. are in, in the UK or America and it's just like, yeah, it's it's painful. It looks like you're in the treatment studio as well. I'm in I'm in my study. Um I've got a nice I've got a nice window out oh. the garden. As you probably can't see if we've got UV mesh on the windows. No, it looks sunny. And, it looks nice. Um, it's it's sunny, it's stopped raining. I've got a copy of Beyond Beauty magazine. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Consumer, uh, consumer magazine for aesthetics, and I've got yeah, skincare and stuff. Yeah, um, you, over look, there. you look like you can survive a long lockdown period. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't had all the normal you know meetings and with people coming round, and normally they all go off with a bag of stuff to try. So, um, so yeah, it's going to have to be a big clear out sometime soon. I'm guessing we you just get to. sent stuff like all the time and they're like, hey, use this and not, talk about not this. Not very much. Yeah, not very much now that I, I mean, I used to have regular columns in magazines or newspapers about makeup or skincare. And then sure, there's like this, this, this mass of stuff. Uh, but now not really because I'm mostly writing about, I mean, I'm, I'm working in this business, so I'm not actively contributing to the newspapers unless there is something particular they want me to say or I want to say so uh, most of their PRs wise up to that and think well no point in sending that but then there's lots of lovely people who send things like I don't know this is some a night cream to to fit with your circadian rhythms and biohack your skin Uh which you think oh yeah right but it's by a really serious um, dermatologist called Dr Tina Mida who uh, so but can I do anything about it i don't know i don't know all these these are very fab things i keep on my desk these are um spf lip balms you'll like these they're um they're good they have clear ones as well as colored ones your studio is missing we're going to send you an inside aesthetics mug it looks like your it looks like your desk could (laughs) yes and if you're very lucky a a t-shirt as well i've got the t-shirt on today for you A t-shirt. I wear that. That's a very select club to belong oh, to. Hold on, where's our, very show our cushions oh, as well? We've got cushions too. There you go. Yeah. Cushion. Wow. My goodness. So, so tell me, you know, this is all this is all a much bigger enterprise than the last time we spoke, isn't it, Jake? Well, it, it's certainly grown in terms of our yes, listenership, um, okay. and mm. we've kind of designed this little studio in David's second bedroom. <laughs> so it looks all professional, but it's in, in his bedroom. But uh, yeah, it's become a bigger thing for sure. Um, hence, we've got celebs on like yourself. So, oh, maybe he's very smooth. He's very smooth. <laughs> very flattery smooth. will, yeah. flattery will uh, yeah, ease your <laughs> nervous subject up. Yeah. 
Um, well, we, thank you. Well, actually, asking. hold on. I was supposed to come to your house for dinner uh, about a yeah. year and three months ago, and then COVID hit and it and screwed it all up. And then you very sensibly cancelled. And I thought, oh, but because you cancelled in January... And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, surely not. This is being very cautious. And then soon you think, oh, God, how could I even have thought? <laughs> yeah. um, and it was an Allegan trip, wasn't it? Well, that's so, right. Actually, Allegan cancelled for me. And I was also saying, yeah. oh, that seems a bit conservative. Come on, we can do this. And then look yeah. what happened. So thank yeah. God they were um, ahead of the curve. Yeah, because yeah, we, had, we had a treatments event in February, quite late February, which I hope wasn't a super spreader event or whatever and there seemed no reason to cancel that we had a bit of hand sanitizer here and there mm. um but obviously haven't got back to doing events since then and now my goodness i mean, I mean how how is it with you guys uh look everything's fairly yeah. well we've been pretty lucky um we're, we're in mm. new south wales um which has probably fared pretty well compared to most of the states in the country melbourne which is in Victoria has had a bit of a rough go. They were they've had extended lockdowns on and off yeah. um, for quite a while now, probably the better part of almost a year. I would say they've had on and off issues, um, and we've wow. just had we've had a little bit of an outbreak here. So we've got to go back to wearing masks when we're outside of the house. Um, but I mean, I guess compared to what you guys are going through in the UK and people in the United States and parts of Europe, it probably... Oh, it's been a walk in the park compared to what we've seen over in the UK and stuff. And I mean, you guys are all, well, not all, but 75% or so vaccinated now, right? A lot of vaccinations are done. You know, there's all this, there has been all this sort of um, you know, how, how fantastic we've got so many people vaccinated. But now there's a bit of a feeling of, of if we're all vaccinated, why can't we go anywhere? Why can't mm. things be opened up? Um, we're not meant to meet in groups of more than six, or I don't know how many you can have inside from meeting, but, you know, sort of work, you know, I'm going to people's offices and, and there's not a problem uh, with that. But... Um, uh, doctor friends are sort of saying, not only were they saying a week or so ago, how the uh, not easing of restrictions on the 21st of June, which is what we'd all been looking forward to for months, not only would that be extended, but it will be extended further. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. It's hard to, there is very little news. The newspapers and the, and the main news sources like the BBC repeat themselves. And, um, most people seem to me to be very fed up with it. But I mean, in London, everyone's kind of carrying on like normal. I was filming in Chelsea last week and everyone's out in the sunshine. People are sitting at pavement cafe tables. Um, the mums and nannies are fetching the kids to and from school like it was absolutely normal. Everywhere seems very busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was down in the countryside at the weekend, um, staying in a hotel. Everyone's super well behaved and respectful and masks on the whole time and distancing and let's be cautious and you can only have a table on the terrace at the pub and uh so it kind of depends where you go and i i know so many people who are very anxious about the freeing up of restrictions and don't want to go back to moving around in crowds and whatever so so it it completely depends who you talk to We've got the added problem of people not wanting to go back to work either. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. definitely finding it difficult in my businesses where there's just people who've just happy to get 
money from the government um, not going to work and it's made it quite difficult for a lot of industries where people have just gone, uh, you know what, I'm pretty much liking this stay-at-home stuff and I'm not, I want to go to work. So I've got some issue. I'm not sure what it's like in the UK, but it's, it's becoming a little bit of an issue here in certain industries for sure. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it'll change town centres and whatever in, in, in due course. I mean, I've worked at home for a very long time. So um, before lockdown, we had five of us here in the study. Uh, now we've got people coming in one or two days a week. It depends. I like going off and working in other people's offices just to get a break and a bit of uh, a change of scene. Otherwise, it's all life and work and nonstop and whatever all right here in this house and all my grown-up children are back home living here as well which is which is great there's sometimes if I'm I'm talking on the here out loud you know for zoom podcast interview whatever and I hear a firm quiet closing of the door from the outside which is my poor eldest who has her bedroom just across the 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 landing and and works in a um, important financial sort of job and obviously can't take the the squealing and giggling and shouting down the line <laughs> that I'm, I'm, I'm up to indulge in. So, uh, so yeah, we've all learned to be very respectful of each other's uh, private spaces. And, and then noise-cancelling headphones, um, we, we've, we've all absolutely relied on those within the house. Or I find going into shared workspaces, you know, because people chatter away. And though I did grow up learning how to um, write to deadline in a crowded newsroom where, you know, where there's a lot of noise and you have to just learn to focus. Um, I do find it far easier if it's quiet. Absolutely. Now, I'm mindful of the fact that I know who you are quite well. Uh, David has obviously had a good research, but let's tell our listeners all about you, Alice. So I'm going to let you present yourself because you know way better than I do. Oh, present myself. Right. I have been a journalist all by professional life. So that's a very long time now. I started working in London in 1985 after graduating. I worked for Vogue very briefly and then I moved on to the Telegraph newspaper where I stayed for about 10 years. And then I was made made freelance, made redundant when I was on maternity leave and became um, freelance writing for all sorts of different people about anything from tech, health, cars, um, relationships, you know, that kind of thing. I specialised more in health and beauty and started writing about non-surgical aesthetic procedures, this whole area which I now call tweakments. In uh, the late 90s, it would have been, I was working for the Evening Standard, which is a London um, local paper, but it behaves like a national, it's always thought of itself as a national paper of huge importance and good contacts with everyone and everything so they would say there's all this stuff going on these doctors are doing (laughs) i don't know lasers and injections and things get out there find who they are what is it is it dodgy is it okay does it work so i have had the opportunity to explore aesthetics since then though mostly i would end up writing about beauty stuff because demand for coverage of aesthetics has been sporadic and still is even 20 years later but back then it it kind of would swing between you know at the standard they'd want pieces about Kensington ladies saying we're all so enamored of you know our injections and Botox is so normal I, you know, I'd rather miss my dentist appointment than miss my jab <laughs> which now seems extraordinary I mean I've got, I've got a piece to got the cuttings from 1999 
um, to the kind of <gasps> the scary thing, should we be engaging with it? And, and, and part of the trouble about um, aesthetics in the UK, the lack of regulation around um, aesthetic procedures in the UK is a massive problem. And it has been from the start, and that's kind of compounded by the media's approach to it, which has always been, you know, even the British media, they're quite, quite sort of savage on things. And, and the idea that um, that stupid, vain women were desperate enough to be free of their wrinkles, to risk injections of a deadly poison in order to look younger, you know, that seemed the most amazing, incredible story, you know, like moralizing and tub something in you. How can you believe people are so <laughs> stupid? So there was this whole sort of um, the, the, the early impression about toxin and what it would do was, you know, deadly poison. You know, I get letters from Alagans, um solicitors on a regular basis saying, you know, <laughs> please do not use these words because this is actually a very well tested prescription medicine used for the following applications and but, but this this was the perception and that gets very hard to change but it, it took years and for the editors who've got a set thing in their head about deadly poison for stupid vain women changing that narrative and saying deadly poison not so deadly after all actually isn't really a story they wanted to go down so you know that that's been a big problem I think you've sold yourself a little short, but you want, do you want to continue? I, I can tell you how wonderful you are if you no, like. Go so I've got on, all go on. Here. If you've got some notes, that'll help me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, you've also been the author of three books. I'm pretty sure that was three. So four. Four now, is it? Okay. You haven't. You need to update your website. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can only see three on there. Well, there's the the trouble with my books is I I wrote a couple of books with my teenage daughters yeah. um, about skincare and um, makeup and hair care and well being mm -hmm. and that kind of thing when when they were teenagers uh, and the more recent books are my treatments guide books yep. there is the treatments guide fresher face which is all about explaining what treatments are and why I'm writing about them and why I think people need to know a bit more about them and then there's the skincare book which I did last year but the I've got a real problem with those at the moment. Um, I don't know if I told you this before. I don't, I don't think I have. In that I published them through Amazon's Kindle Direct Publishing thing. You know, yep. online, you, mm -hmm. you load up your yep. file, your typeset file on the cover. It's brilliant. It's there online. Uh, when people come online, discover it, and they buy it to buy a real book, they press the button, KDP prints it, sends it. So that for the author sitting at home without the book printing, publishing, distribution, whatever channels, that, that's brilliant. It gets around it all, except about three weeks ago, um, uh, my husband, whose account has got an email from KDP, King of Publishing, saying, um, you have multiple accounts. This violates our terms and conditions. We're taking down your books and oh, wow. all the reviews and withholding royalties. Oh. What you thought was a spam or some kind of phishing? And he went back to them and said, I don't have multiple accounts. Can you explain? And they say, We've examined your case and are satisfied that, um, you know, we're right. Um, since when we got back saying, Well, you know, what, what have we done? Can we, uh, can we discuss this? Can you explain more? I don't understand. You know, the first book's been there two years. The second one's been there six months. Absolutely fine. No issues. Um, but 
they've gone and we just get a reply back saying no we've replied to this there is no there's no further course that's crazy you need to speak um, to a lawyer so it's like the judge and jury and yeah but but take a lawyer to amazon i mean how much is that going to cost i'm running a <laughs> loss making startup here you know I, I i have not got the time and funds to you know, it, it looks like a sort of a bot that's answering you know, mm. by now because we've had our three emails and that's it. But I, I simply had no idea they could do this and with no explanation and there's no recourse and they say you can't start another KDP account, you'll be blocked. Um, so so I'm, 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 I'm completely stuck and, and there are no books of you to awaken me by your books. And you think, well, um, maybe I need to start again and try and find a publisher or print them or yeah. something anyway so so i have written books but the two of them well i've got a couple of hundred copies of the um of the second one sitting under the stairs here but but none of the others uh so it's not available yeah it, it no longer exists as far as amazon is concerned which is a bit distressing seeing quite how much work went into that but maybe i need to See that as a positive. Yeah, it's an amazing book because you sent me a copy. I thought it was brilliant. It actually sits on the coffee table of our clinic, and all of the patients have a flick through before. You got there all the way. Yeah, Yeah. and and I put a bookmark in um, anti wrinkle sort of section and filler section, so they know (laughs) know where to start looking. Yeah, I mean the thing is, people are so confused about this whole area in general, aren't they? I mean, you'll you'll know this. Even the ones who find their way to you for treatment, they won't entirely know what it is what they want and why even if they've done a fair bit of research online they may have picked up some quite strange ideas about this and i just it was when you know, as a beauty journalist i was always getting asked you know what's the best face cream that is the question you get mm. most often and it was when that question started changing to being a very private and very whispered would botox work for me <laughs> um i thought wow you know they, they're really is this curiosity out there and nobody really knows and they don't know who they can go and ask. So I thought, I've got to write this book. I've got to write it all down. Cause if I did ever get to write it for the papers, you know, they want things done a very certain way and they want it quite brief and banging on about safety or the million and one things you ought to look into when you're, when you're considering these, these procedures, you know, they haven't got the time for that. They want our brave reporter tries this scary thing or 10 ways to get a perfect bottom or, you, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's the same things come around year after year. And I thought if I can write this down as a book, also people need a bit of time to take all this in and um, a book would allow them to do that. I didn't want to call it the big book of Botox because who's going to sit there reading that on the tube? Although, okay, nobody's on the tube anymore, let alone reading books. But I tried to put it down in a way that people would understand just to give them an idea on what all these different things are, you know, injectable toxins and wrinkle fillers and skin conditioners and energy devices. You know, you usually lose people even when you say energy devices. You think, what on earth do you mean? You say, well, lasers are kind of light energy. Ultrasound is kind of sound energy. Radio frequency is another kind of energy, you know, plasma energy, all of this. And they're like, whoa, what do all those do? Yeah. And it's a long, slow explanation. And I think people have to take it in at their own pace. And, and then they get bored with it. Usually if you're in conversation or in a newspaper article and they'll come back saying, yeah, but what's the best treatment for a 50-year-old face? And he all oh, I don't know, you know, what is your 50-year-old face like? Is it um, 
hollow and gaunt? Has it got lots of sags and bags and wrinkles? Is it oversized and puffy? Have you got jowls? You know, what is it you don't like about it? What do you want to change? Why do you think you need to change it anyway? I mean, you'll get this the whole time, won't you? People say, I just want one thing. Uh, or oh, I only want to have a tiny bit, you know, you, 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 the usual thing of that ketchup sachet of what, what volume does that hold? 0.7 mil of filler and that, that, you know, that internet meme of sort of saying, yeah, Barbara Shaw, I can completely transform <laughs> your face with 0.7 mils of filler. People have no idea. They say, I'm thinking of going for fillers. Should I go for two mils or whatever? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, <laughs> where are you thinking of having this done? What kind of filler? Um, and then people sort of think, oh, but they don't want to have to stop and think about all those things because it, it, it's so alien to them. So I thought, if I could pull this down in the book, they could read it at their own pace. Um, and then I got the website because I didn't want yeah, the book's quite a static thing. Not that many people read. Everybody wants to look online. So I found this great web development company who took me seriously, bless them, because I said, I am a beauty journalist. I said, right. I said, I've written a book about non-surgical cosmetic procedures. Okay. I said, and I want to turn that into a website, but not just to sit there. I want it to be interactive. I want people to be able to find this site, work this site, hop from one place to another. I want to be able to develop it. And yeah, I'm still working with them. And that website is growing and growing. And um, there's a lot to do with it. And I'm trying to find, you know, the more you work on it, the more you find different ways in which it would be useful to link things between one sort of another. So on the website, people can go in and search by their concerns. They can sort of browse around a face illustration. Oh, what happens if I land on the cheeks? You know, you can click on that bit and oh, here are all the things that you might be bothered about in your cheeks and here are all the tweakments that you could use to address those. It all depends on your budget, your inclination for pursuing treatment, you know, the kind of change you're wanting to make. There's so many different elements to it, um, you know, which is why, and this is such a fast moving, fast developing field, you know, it's changed so much in the past 20 years. And, I just found it completely fascinating. So it's amazing to be able to work within it this way and to find a way of bringing information, independent information as far as I can to the consumers who are curious. Because I don't know how it is in Australia, but certainly in the UK, all the aesthetics brands have always worked simply by um, selling their products, uh, fillers or toxins or whatever, or their machines, uh, so lasers and other devices that they use in clinic to the practitioners, doctors, nurses, surgeons, whoever over here, it is largely whoever, because there's no restriction on who can use those machines, uh, and then leaving them to publicize it, mm. uh, to communicate it, to find their own market. Um and I think that's largely why the coverage of it all is so piecemeal, because some practitioners will take on, um, you know, very sort of well, very able um, PR companies who will put that information into lots of different publications. So suddenly that practitioner has a, a profile and everyone thinks they're the, the person to go to. And it, it's incredibly hard for people to work out. Yeah, who is good and what's good and is the journalist just writing about it because they got a free treatment? You know, it's 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 all very tricky. So 
that those were my last books. That's why I started sort of doing this whole treatments mm. thing. What when you started researching these treatments, and this was all foreign to you, this you're learning all this for the first time. How did you sort of reconcile it in your mind? What were your impressions, and then? How did you go about obtaining all this information? Because there wasn't a lot around back then. I'm curious as to how that went for you. Um, <laughs> it's just a question of um, meeting the people who are doing it, interviewing them endlessly about what they're doing and how and why and trying to understand how this stuff works. So there were, I think the first person I would have gone to interview would probably be Rita Rakers. Dr. Rita Rakers, who who was even then, we were all calling her the London Lip Queen because she had a reputation for doing uh, such lovely, enhanced, subtle lips. And people like Tracy Mountford and mm. Patrick Bowler and all those guys who started the British Association of Cosmetic Doctors, now BCAM. And I'd go and talk to dermatologists. And the great thing about being a journalist is you can barge in and ask an awful lot of questions and you 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 soon have to I mean with any subject you you have to be comfortable with asking all the stupid questions and not knowing what these things are and how they work and working out who's talking themselves up and who's which products are better or whatever that that is a long slow process of learning and it's only by constantly talking to endless different people in the area that you build up a picture because as a journalist obviously everybody's going to tell you that they are brilliant their stuff is amazing their treatments <laughs> are the best and their com- competition is deluded and possibly dangerous and you should never go near them it's a lot of professional jealousy in this area as in most areas of work so um and gradually, as you get to know people and build up a relationship with them and gain their confidence, then they start telling you maybe a bit more, which is always very useful. But otherwise, you know, you I, I only know by going the whole way around the circle and trying to join the dots and work out which things tally and which things don't. Does, does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And I've got a question. Obviously, now you're, you know, very well known. And I, I think people would know that you're extremely unbiased and you, you just say it how it is. But at the start, did you sort of encounter any practitioners or doctors who didn't want you in because they thought you were going to put your own spin on it? And, you know, I know what it's like no, when I get approached. I like think... I'm sort of on the back foot a bit because I don't know how it's going to be spun. Oh, for sure. Okay. I think the the whole thing was so new then and all the papers were approaching it really in a spirit of curiosity and all the doctors, dermatologists, whoever I spoke to would be, they all seemed like pretty good, um, well-accredited practitioners. So it was more a question of trying to convey their learnings about what go what goes on in this space. I remember doing a big project with Nick Lowe, Professor Nick Lowe, um, who, <sighs> because in the UK there's no there's no restriction on which fillers are available, and people are always shocked because they'll only know the names of a few brands of fillers, and this would have been God, I don't know 2005 or something. But we rounded up um, 
150, 180 names of fillers. That's and, crazy. And then it's a question of whether, because I think this is completely fascinating, of course, and people should know it, but it's a question of convincing your immediate section editor that, you know, look, there are all these things out here. Not all of them are safe and well tested and people should know. And you've got to get your health editor on the side. Then he's got to get the ultimate editor to agree that two pages of a health, whatever, are going to be given over to this two-page spread of just this list of <laughs> endless filler names um, and whether they're any good or not. And, and so that was trying to get people to understand there are different brands of filler around then. But even now, you know, almost nobody has any idea of what they've had in, injected in their faces when they come out, have they? I mean, you, I'm sure, Jake, are very thorough about telling them that you are this kind of practitioner who works with these kind of products because... I tell people, but they, it just goes in one ear and out the other, to be completely honest. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. And, and until you get a treatment like... There's very few treatments that get that instant brand recognition. Over here, I don't think you even got it in Australia, Profilo, mm-hmm. uh, injectable moisturiser, a skin booster. And I can sit there bleating saying, this is not a new idea. You know, Restylane have had their skin boosters for over a decade. You know, Juvederm's got... Light, you know, has got their one, you know, Tero is just introducing a new one. Um, he's just introducing a new one here. Um, but people hear about it, like it, they start chattering around it. The other thing here that's got massive traction suddenly this year is radio frequency microneedling in the form of Morpheus 8. Mm-hmm. Because Judy Murray, yeah, um, we saw those photos, national treasure, yeah, okay. And it, it transformed her along with uh, along with an Abaji Newderm course of very aggressive skincare plus, yeah, the lighting, whatever. But she looks fab. You know, she looks fab. She looks hugely improved. And everybody puts that down to Morpheus 8. Everybody wants Morpheus 8 and saying, look, actually, there's several different types of technology in this area. I don't know which is the best. You know, I get not only people asking me in my DMs on Instagram, but practitioners saying, I want to get one of these. Which do I get? I don't know, because everybody I know who's got Morpheus 8 absolutely loves it. But equally, the people who have chosen the Cutera Secret RF absolutely adore it. The people with the profound, you know, the original ones, say, no, this is better because. Then there's the new Sinusure Potenza. I don't really know anything about that yet, but but everybody who's got them will swear blind that theirs is absolutely the best, the best, the best by a very <laughs> long way. Um, so people say, should I get Morpheus 8? I don't know. It all comes back to just go and find a great practitioner and have a proper discussion with them about what you're trying to do, what your budget is. Well, I've got an idea, Alice, because you're famous for putting your face forward to actually do the treatments as a journalist. So why don't you divide your face into quarters and do Potenza, Morpheus (laughs) 8, and the other two on the other side and see what happens. You're trying to make it look like a stroke victim. (laughs) I was offering to somebody to do that with a new injectable product saying, you know, and come on, we can do skin biopsies. And they said, what, skin biopsies? is on the face i said sure i'd be up for it because you know old face everybody knows what it looks like i don't mind missing a (laughs) tiny chunk of skin here or there it'll grow back largely if not war wound that's fine um something to talk about in my old age but uh, they were pointing out that wouldn't work because the injectable would have a more global effect on the skin than simply being able to confine it to one patch yeah yeah uh so i don't know but i have yeah i have Occasionally, that kind of thing works as a gimmick. I, I did a story years ago 
because I was so enraged by all these beauty products that call themselves Botox gels um, that, you know, imply you put them on your face, they will smooth away your wrinkles. And they make the most outrageous marketing claims saying that the Duchess of Cambridge uses them, Michelle Obama uses them, whatever. <laughs> um, people buy the stuff. So I, I said to the that relevant newspaper health editor, look, you know, I will go do you a, a half face trial. I will draw a line down my face. And I got Tapan Patel too, who, bless him, is always up for something like this, even if it's a bit gimmicky, to inject one side of my line with, um, with toxin. And the other, I went away and used all these gels for weeks and weeks. And guess what? After two weeks, this side couldn't move. This side, nothing had changed. And, um, yeah, that makes for a, a decent picture, a bit of a laugh. Doesn't stop people buying the products. The company, the shameless companies behind the Botox gels just say, oh, we're so sorry you didn't get results. People absolutely love our product. They swear by them. Did they actually <laughs> call it right. Botox gel? It wasn't brand that, surely. Allegan would go mental. No, no, they, they, they wouldn't, but they um, they imply it in the in the subheading. Yeah, text right. That, well, along that's a bit it. dodgy. Well, the speaking, in a bottle effect. speaking of dodgy, um, and I won't go into yeah. specifics because I don't want to get sued, but I was at a clinic many years ago and there was a person that would come into that clinic and was trying to promote one of these Botox gels and um, they convinced a practitioner to actually do Botox and then claim it was the gel. <laughs> was oh, in the treatment, so <laughs> at least you're at least the, so bad. Yeah. People are so bad. Well, is that, at the moment, I mean, what do you guys think? All the um, the before and after pictures online. I mean, this is an awful oh, lot yeah. of practitioners I know do get a lot of their new patients through Instagram. In fact, Jake, I saw you saying this very recently, like yesterday. So many of the before and afters on Instagram. So in when I'm talking to doctors about why they should be on social media, uh, there's less resistance now than even a couple of years ago, but there's a lot of like, oh, I don't really do that. It's not really very serious. You think, but a lot of people are taking it seriously, a lot of practitioners, a lot of your potential patients who are doing their research in inverted commas on Instagram. You and I might not think that that is the place to do research around cosmetic medical procedures, but that is what patients are doing. Yeah. And if they don't find you, they will find goodness knows who and the goodness knows who people are really adept at the use of deceitful before and afters um yet that's what people choose to believe and go with and, and, and you know there's so much trickery goes on with before and after pictures and yet you, you know it is, it is one way of trying to give people an idea of what treatment can do also do you you know I, I so hate that all the lip pictures that are kind of fresh off the needle you, you know yeah, nobody looks yeah, their best yeah. immediately after why do people think that's a good thing to do um they do it for convenience because you know they're there they don't they have to bring the them back, back and, yeah, sure. and it looks better that's why <laughs> and it especially looks better swollen yeah and it especially looks better once they've uh, put a little bit of vaseline on the after shot and on the on the before shot it's all dull and non-vaselined that's just a, a classic trick that that everyone does that i see and you know here in australia although many people don't follow it, we've got some guidelines that we should, by definition, be following as cosmetic doctors and nurses and anyone doing a cosmetic procedure. We have to go 
as far as we can to have consistent images before and after, be it lighting, pose, makeup, hair position, clothes, you know, facial expression, all the rest of it. Because that's the only way you can really make a, an informed decision of is that a good you know, change or not. But you see so much nonsense on Instagram. And, and because it changes in different countries or other countries don't have laws, they just throw up this work. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the consumers sort of get duped into going, oh, my God, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and some of them, some of the work is incredible. Let's just be real. But some of it and a lot of it is, I don't even say doctored or fake. It's just wrong. It's just crap photography and deliberately manipulated to look better. Mm. Well, then you probably get, yeah. People in countries like Australia that are heavily regulated thinking, well, how can I compete with people that are using fake images? Oh, you don't and, need they, to. And, and then they yeah. probably try and, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like you're trying to, everyone's sort of, you know, Instagram's where you sort of, you show off, you put up your best work, your best life, your best experiences. So I think there is sort of that competitive sort of nature, especially with, you know, people that maybe have inflated egos or what have you. There, mm. there is probably that need there as well to feel like they're, they're doing the great work that everyone they want the recognition and and the and people adoring them as well. Yeah, I mean, what do you think the UK should do about that? I mean, we can't speak for the UK, but you, you obviously know what's going oh, on there. God, it's a bit late, isn't it? I I, I I I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, it's like um, that's a regulation around aesthetic practice. Full stop. Um, uh, there seems to be so many opportunities to get a grip on this over the last however long and now the whole thing is so far out of control i i can't see can't see much changing though the the jccp is doing its best to well maybe we could sort of wheel back and and get sort of the non-medical perspective because you know we've discussed this (laughs) so many times and unfortunately we keep on slagging off the uk which is my homeland as (laughs) as like the the pariah of of injectables but i I think it's sort of true it is true and yeah it does mean um the, the the other side of that is and because there's so little barrier to bringing in new treatments you know you do get all this extraordinary new stuff being tried some of which turns out to be great but a lot of which isn't so i mean that's the one that's the only plus side i can see too but but, but sorry jake you were saying i mean yeah, yeah totally totally the pariah of 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 uh, of the whole global sort of aesthetics area and even though I feel, you know, people like you guys are saying it, I'm saying it the whole time that there is a dire lack of regulation over here. And people say, oh, yes, yes. And then I say to people, you do realise that means you or I, this would be a lay person, not a medical professional, you or I can go and buy fillers, needles off the internet. We can set ourselves up in business perfectly legally there is nothing to stop us doing that we can start injecting people there is no need to take any courses in it if we don't feel we need Mm. to you know we can do that we can inject ourselves you know people say oh that's shocking that's terrible something should be done yeah people have been saying something should be done for a very long time i was just recording a clip for the the bcam the british college of aesthetic medicine which used to be the british association of cosmetic doctors who've been trying to straighten things up in this area for a long time. They've got their 20th anniversary coming up this year. And I was recording a clip for that. And I I went back through my cuttings books and I dug out this piece from October 2001, which is the the week they started, um, confidently headlined, 
farewell to the cosmetic cowboys. Oh, <laughs> I got God. that up to say that on screen and say, yeah, you know, this was this was the day you guys launched. Um, and, and we were all so hopeful, weren't we, that, you know, this was going to really um, sort things out, yeah. ensure that people needed to be regulated. But but it's not happened. And then there was a massive missed opportunity after the PIP breast implant scandal in 2010. You know, they set up this... Um, commission headed by Professor Bruce Keogh, now Professor Sir Bruce Keogh, to do a report into it. You know, three years it took to get that. And one of the looking at the surgical market, the non-surgical market, he was pretty shocked by what he found. And one of his conclusions were that dermal fillers, you know, the unregulated state of dermal fillers in the UK were um, a time bomb waiting to happen or a disaster waiting to happen. I can't remember the exact words, but that was the thrust of it. Mm. And um, since when it's only got worse, because back in 2001, there were very few um, dermal fillers, but because they weren't regulated as, as um, prescription medicines, and, and of course, no injectables company wants them to be regulated as prescription medicines because that would vastly reduce their... Um, their supply and, 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 and profitability. But uh, yeah, that's a, that, that's an issue. What's what's happened to you guys? At one stage, the, the United Kingdom used to be basically in charge of the almost the entire known world. <laughs> and now your convict colony's got it right. <laughs> you guys lost your way. What happened? Time ago, wasn't it, David? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the JCCPS is, is, is sort of struggling their way forward as an all-party parliamentary group, you know, looking at all of this. But um, none of it, and they all have voluntary registers that people can sign up for to show that they're thoroughly approved by whoever. But none, it's all voluntary. It's not compulsory. You know, the good people haven't necessarily got the time to bother to sign up and jump through all these hoops. The bad ones are never going to do it because why should they? They're making a lot of money just doing what they do, vanishing whenever something goes wrong, setting up another online, you know, clinic in inverted commas with a mobile phone number attached and that's all they need. Ah, so it's it's a huge mess. And because people are so reluctant to talk about it all, because the whole subject is still pretty taboo here, except in small pockets where everybody goes through it like mad, People don't talk around it. There's a lot of shame and judgment around it. And um, they don't understand, because they don't understand, they don't think to do the research. They don't know what the difficulties and dangers might be. And they think, oh, well, this, this woman's coming to my hairdresser and she's offering this stuff. It's probably all right. It's quite not too expensive. I'll give it a go. <laughs> uh, and, and they can get into terrible trouble with all the, you know, a just bad work, but but B the problems like sort of vascular occlusions and necrosis that follows on, and uh, particularly at, at the moment, you know, if people go and if they have a problem, they go back to the practitioner who's probably vanished, or they'll say it's just a bruise. Person in distress goes to A and E. A and E staff they're pretty busy here at the moment. Plus they're not trained in recognising aesthetic complications. Why should they be? Though you know, here and there there are great doctors who are doing work with their local hospitals to try and just say, if these things walk in, this is what they are. And nobody knows how to sort of deal with them. The original practitioners, if they haven't already vanished, probably don't have the competence to deal with them. So yeah, so it's a mammoth mess that because people aren't open about it in the first place that adds to the whole 
oh, it's a shady, dodgy area full of uh, cowboys, probably best avoided. Do, do you reckon there would be more of a, a parliamentary sort of awareness if it was splashed across the front page of the Daily Mail? Like, you know, well, um, every now and know, again it is, isn't it? You know, there, there's that, that um, poor girl, Rachel, who, whose lips blew up in a major way, her local MP to get up. He's on this group now. But it's not it's not ever top of their agenda. And you know, particularly out of the last 18 months, I don't, I don't see how it's going to get up there. Um, also, that would mean restricting the use of these products, taking it away from all the beauticians who are using it at the moment. There's there's various, um, you know, beauticians and beauticians interested groups in that or party, party parliamentary group who are saying, you know, why shouldn't we be able to use these things? Um, it's, it's a really difficult thing to try and unpick, sort out, let alone regulate, you know, and then enforce. I reckon we should get one of these beauticians on and have a, a chat about what they're doing. That'd be interesting. Well, you'd yeah. probably get a good one who's great, who's, 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 who's you know, the, the one person who can do this in a safe, competent way and sounds plausible. But, you know, we all know these are medical procedures. You know, that's what the thing people forget. And that's the one reservation I have about, I use the word tweakments just because it sounds a lot more friendly. You know, tweakment is anything that's a bit more than a facial, a bit less than cosmetic surgery. So it's covering a huge area. But it sounds a bit more like, oh, I'll have a little tweakment. It doesn't sound like saying, I'm going to go and have a complicated cosmetic medical procedure because... I feel I'm looking old and I don't like it. Um, or oh, I'm just having a little tweakment. Uh, but but does that diminish the seriousness of it? You know, that's my one concern around it. Do Does it mean people start to take these things too casually? Or is it just me that takes them too casually because I've got into this, because I've got so used to it all that when I turn up at a shoot like I did the other week and the patient has cried off because they had a positive COVID test, I stand and say, oh, sure, I'll... I'll have it done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we all get desensitised. Nice product. How far wrong can it go? Um, and it was fine. But but that is not the way people... I, I need to do a series of posts about do as I say, not as I do. Because also people see me hopping around in my videos, you know, going to see different doctors, having these procedures. And they say, oh, should I go doctor shopping? Should I go to um, this person for this part of my face and this person for another? Because that's what you do. And you well, no, you should absolutely find a fab practitioner who you like and you understand and who can get to know your face and who you can develop a relationship with and have a management strategy for your face going forward over time so that it's not a a rush at fixing some particular issue. It's a it's a thought out way of managing how you look as you age, which mm. is what they can do. But I can see I'm not um, I'm not modelling that very <laughs> carefully. So you've had probably hundreds of treatments over the past twenty or mm. so years. Would it be hundreds? It probably pretty pretty close, maybe. Probably, yeah. yeah. Probably. And when I wrote that book, uh, there were about 60-something procedures mentioned in it. And I'm sorry to say I was the person who had tried. <laughs> <laughs> all of but, you know, there's something that's like you, you need to do, go and do quite regularly, don't yeah. you, to, well, to keep them up. What are sorry, your, David, well, okay. What are your go-to treatments? What, what are the things that you, you can't live without and what are your favourites that you've sort of identified over the years? Um, Other than Botox, obviously. That is a <laughs> good question. Well, 
technically it would be, wouldn't it? It yeah. would be the obvious things that keeps any practitioner in business. It would be toxins, it would be fillers, it would now be skin conditions. Having said which, I haven't had any filler for a long time. I, I saw the fabulous Steve Harris for a tiny 0.3 whatever either side because I'd had a big old fat transfer procedure the year before and he'd come up to me at the last conference I was at and said yeah that was all very well but they missed this point there didn't they <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks Steve what a, what a friend's for um, yeah nice you. to see yeah, you Steve correct <laughs> I like it some people find it a bit much um and he goes and tells them very directly uh what they have and haven't done when to if they if they haven't but but no I I I, I like it so apart from that I haven't had any filler for years I haven't had any toxins since last September. Mm-hmm. You can see if I fire my brows, you've now got uh, total excessive mobility in the face. But I, I'm, I'm waiting to try something which is a toxin alternative. So I shall, and, and I would like to give that a go with a fully mobile face of wrinkles. And I reckon after eight months or whatever, this is mobile as my face is going to get. So I'll have to put up with the fact that people keep saying, are you anxious? (laughs) You're looking a bit tired. What's the alternative? Um, I can't tell you. Botox gel. We spoke about it. Oh yes. No, it's not Botox gel. It's something else. Um, And also I I haven't had any fillers forever and maybe I should try nice bit of softening fillers because you you know you can see i've got a hollow nurse up here in my temples i could do with a bit of propping up up here on the cheeks chin softening volume in the mid face that would be nice but <laughs> you know the family still talk to me and the dog still loves me even if i if i don't do that i could do with skin conditioners all over um i tried a new one last week in my neck i've still got the bruise to prove it um we'll see if that works so i don't really have any particular go-tos i mean consistent skincare so i mean i feel i ought to have i ought to have two or three sensible things like consistent go-tos like you know an energy treatment a skin tightening something a couple of times a year um toxin a couple of times a year for as necessary um skin boosters as and when probably continuously but i but i don't and i haven't and and um there's a there's a long string of complicated reasons for that but but that, that's what i would mm-hmm. that's what i would say if i was being sensible i've got a question um, let's go to ch- do yeah. your either family friends colleagues whoever do they think you've got body dysmorphia for the amount of treatments that you do <laughs> and i say that jokingly no, no but also, no, that, thank you, Dave. No one's, no, no, it's a very good question. No one's said that. Not too fast. In fast, so many no. words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but it's just me know. then. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I do try and keep it real enough. I mean, I like in between having all these things done to, to try and let things drop back a bit. So I have a rough idea. Yeah, yeah. Of what I, I was obviously joking. What I, you, yeah, you were, but I, I know I take this because I think I, I do because I had, I had a blepharoplasty in um, earlier this year, and I mean largely because it was a ptosis correction mm-hmm. for wondering what on earth is that. My left eyelid sat rather low on the, on the 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 iris of the the eye and has done for a very long time. A lovely surgeon had pointed that out to me about fifteen years ago, and. It hadn't bothered me really until increasingly the, just the past two years since I launched my business, since I'm just 
online the whole time doing videos and every poor photographer videographer is struggling to find a picture where my eye is actually open and I was chatting to an eye surgeon friend about it point who pointed out this is one of her specialities and she did it with uh, this is Elizabeth Hawkes is at the Cadogan and she was working with um, Professor Richard Collin who is kind of the sort of father of ocular plastic surgery so he really developed it as a discipline um, and they still do these operations together because it's really ticklish adjusting the muscle for the eyelids. You get you, you get one a bit too much, the other one drops down um, <laughs> because of you know it's because of Herring's law. It's a reciprocal way the muscles across the you know paired muscles work. Yeah. Um, and it was fascinating because I had to be awake for half of it, or at least awake enough. I was completely freaked at the idea because I'm quite squeamish. You wouldn't even think it, but um, but I am. I'm very interested in the theory, but I can't watch any of this stuff being done. So the thought of being awake while they were burrowing around in my eyelid muscles was not thrilling, but it was fascinating. So they, they would adjust it and so, and then both swap sides, hone in, step back and say, I think she might look a bit startled. And I'm like, no, I don't want to look startled. And then they'd go on, tighten one, loosen the other, assess. And eventually they said, Mm, I think that's ideal. Okay, I'll take ideal. I'll take ideal. So while they were doing that, they, um, I said, well, if you're in there, if you're in there adjusting this, they make the same, um, they can make the same incision, uh, you know, along the eyelid crease um, and took out excess skin there, took out the medial fat pad because that had dropped again, which I hadn't realised. So somebody pointed it out to me. But during the recovery from this, you know, I'm, I'm on the lines of a, the to Port Elizabeth the whole time sort of saying look at this morning <laughs> is, is this right is this and then uh, once that is sort of sorted obviously being in this world I, I and having people endlessly looking at my face and suggesting what I might do and what I might not um it, it's quite hard to keep a handle on it so I, I'm sure I look at my face in a in a very critical way but I also am very aware that I ought to try and learn to live with it so I don't think I'm dysmorphic about it but I'm aware I pay much more attention to it than perhaps I should and I haven't seen most of my friends for a long time but they simply don't go in for any of this and probably think I'm quite mad they still think I just write a bit about beauty creams or whatever they, <laughs> I, I, they're always astonished if I if they see things on Instagram they're horrified um and say do you have to do this and who do, do you not see this is this is my business this is my work this is what I do I have been doing this for a long time have you not noticed um I worry about what my kids think of it they bless them say they're, they're all um grown up in their 20s they're all playing at home but uh they tend to kind of say well it's for your work and you think I feel I ought to address the elephant in the room which is that I'm vain I I want to know what these things can do because I want to see if they make me look better um you know sometimes things go wrong you don't look so good but uh they're not interested in them thank goodness um I've taken to taking my husband along to consultations now just so that if he's got a million tasks and questions about things he can ask them directly to the practitioner because I'll usually have got to a point of thinking I know this person I know their work I know they want it and why I, I know I want this and why and that's it decision made and I and I can't think of all the obvious questions that a normal person would ask so I take him along then he'll be less worried about because 
<laughs> there was something I tried uh, nearly 20 years ago, which was the sort of grow your own facelift isologen. Do you ever hear oh, of that? Yeah, we actually had uh, one of their pioneers, pioneers on. Yes. Richard, Richard Arnott? Was yeah, it? Richard yeah. Arnott, yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. What's he up to now? Uh, he's the head of, uh, Mondial. Sort of uh, Mondial, who are a distributor of uh, aesthetic products, threads, and, and a few other things. Yeah, so, recently, oh, okay. recently okay. Tioxane, until Tioxane sort of um, set up their own offices here in Australia, he had the distribution for them, so he got oh. them set up here. But he's been around for a long time. Okay, I missed that. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, the Grow Your Own Facelift, they took a snippet of skin from behind your ear, they extracted the fibroblasts from that, cloned them into billions, spun them down into a, centrifuged them into a concentrated serum, stored them cryogenically for whenever you wanted them re-injected in your face to uh, to liven up your own face. But there were endless, just, <laughs> um, and, and, and endless sort of discussion this is disagreement about what went wrong and 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 how or whether the doctors were injecting into the wrong depths but it was an expensive procedure even back then it was like three grand and a lot of the top london doctors were doing it and i had it down didn't see any difference um but it meant when it was re-injected into the face, it was 200 little pinprick injections all over so of course i went home looking like I'd been stung by a swarm of bees. <laughs> I hadn't told my husband because I always say, oh, I'm just popping out from a meeting. And, you know, so sometimes I'll come back and say, oh, lucky there was a hairdresser at that meeting. And say, yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> um, and I had lunch with him with my hair all around my face <laughs> like that. But back in the study in the afternoon, I tied my hair up and he suddenly looked over and said, Christ, you know what? happened and then got very angry say what is this is it safe on earth are you doing um and I was thinking, well, I think it's okay because <laughs> that's the trouble with writing about these things as a journalist in, invariably you get offered them at a very early stage when um maybe the research um isn't there or the you you want not just the initial research really you want to know that that product has been in use for a while and will get consistent results in the right hands in well-trained hands and anyway isologen didn't work out in the long run though it did me no harm but um yeah some things some things work out and some don't well, that, that's that actually didn't. brings me to a good question that I wanted to ask you. So the taboo around all of these things, including injectables, mm. being the main one. From a journalist perspective, you've been in this game, you know, 20 years plus. Why is it still a problem for people? I mean, it, you know, and I'm going to touch on your point. I think it's a great tip to take your partner to your consultation. And I positively encourage my patients to bring their partner because they all say to me, I'm not going to tell my husband, I'm going to put this on my secret credit card, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cash, but, they say- but I'm like, but why? Like, let's, let's get to the root of this because this is going to be a lifelong lie if you don't tell him today or whatever it would be. Why, what, what's the worst that can happen? And, and they'll say, well, he doesn't understand. I'll say, well, cool, we'll bring him and then he will understand and he might actually encourage it. We might get it done himself. Or we might get yeah. himself, exactly. So what, what's <laughs> the taboo all about? Um, because for most people, the worst that can happen is that they will look weird 
that's always in the back of their minds because we've all seen pictures of distorted faces who have been badly and appropriately treated, particularly famous faces. And even beyond that looking weird, there is the fear of judgment from their immediate peers, family, whoever. Um, I was talking with this, uh, we talked about this the, the, the other day um, for a live, which alas didn't say, but but it was, it was he, because he, I was saying it's the fear of looking weird. He was saying judgment even more, even more because... And, and that goes very deep. And I don't know whether people think we ought to be, you know, there, there, there's such a persistent narrative around aging gracefully and that being a morally superior thing to do, a worthy aspiration that we ought to accept mm. as we are. I'm sure we ought to accept as we are. You know, that's a big challenge of life, isn't it, to uh, manage to live with ourselves. Um, and yet there are these options out there. And we are all happy with the lesser and more acceptable, as people see it, options for looking after ourselves. You know, we, I was thinking there's this long sliding scale of what people are comfortable with. You know, it starts with skincare. No one's going to argue that skincare and masterminding your skin health is a good strategy long term. There's makeup. Everyone's happy with makeup. There's hair colour. We used to lie about that 30 years ago. No, these are just natural i must have been out in the sun <laughs> and then there's cosmetic dentistry which again 20 years ago most people were a bit suspicious of all these hollywood teeth whitening whatever so now everyone's mad for it then there's all the kind of enhanced facials you know facials a little bit of needling a little bit of laser something like that not too challenging it's on offer at your beauty salon but then there are all the uh, cosmetic medical procedures, you know, which you know, I still think people are much more accepting of the light-based ones, laser, IPL, busting up pigmentation. That's all good, surely, you know, celebs talk about it. And what nobody talks about is the needle-based stuff here. Yeah, and I think that's where all this fear of, oh, you'll look like that Leslie Ash. Yeah, oh cool, God, that name. Leslie Ash. It's nearly 20 years since she was an oh, we don't have a skin peel. You'll look like that Samantha in Sex and the City. And that was 2002. This is a long time back, but it, it, it buries itself in the popular mindset, along with the newspapers thinking of deadly poison for stupid, vain women, you know, which persists as those male newspaper executives go on and on. You know, and that, that is the persistent narrative there. Uh, and then you get the whole... Um, so, so, so that's where most people stop. And then there's cosmetic surgery right up the other end of the scale. And, and most people don't want to go there. It's too expensive. It's too um, too much to contemplate. They say, oh, I'd never. Oh, I'd never. But, you know, it, it all depends. Because when I started doing this, I would go on press trips with lovely young journalists. You know, I was coming up for about 40. So I was, that's why I was particularly interested in this this whole area this cosmetic medicine looked like much more something that's much more effective against incipient wrinkles tiredness general looking shatteredness than face creams but i've been sitting there with these lovely young tennis you say oh imagine injecting that stuff into us i don't know how people could i don't know why they'd ever want to do that and i'd say maybe oh, you wait till you're looking at 40 in the mirror and you start thinking would it be so bad you know what would this stuff be able to do let's just have a little try and I thought to them you wait and see and now interesting of course all this time on a lot of them are in my inbox 
saying, oh, I feel really conflicted about this because I've never been keen on these procedures, but all my friends are doing it and I don't know where to start. And, oh, darling, you know, go easy on yourself because these are just options that are out there. Um, I, I think they can be incredibly helpful. You know, obviously, none of us want to turn ourselves into a waxwork, but, you know, women have never been able to take charge of how they look as they age. They have simply had to accept it, you know, hair dye and cosmetic surgery aside. But here are all these things which can just help you look that bit sharper, that bit more together, that bit more relevant. You know, I hear from so many women who have had serious jobs and they've been concentrating on bringing up their families and they have not been spending all day looking at their faces in the mirror and suddenly they get to a stage where their colleagues are teasing them about their age or, you know, despite all the sharp suits and the makeup and the good haircuts and whatever, they want a bit of something else. And so they, they come to me saying, I, I know the stuff is out there, but I'm terrified and I don't know where to start and I don't want to look ridiculous, but I need some help. You know, you, you, you hear the same thing from doctors. I mean, you'll know this, this Jake, from, from your older male patients. They feel... The younger ones coming up, treading on their tails. They don't want to look old and tired. Tweakments can really help with that. Just it's the freshening, the brightening. It's it's not about trying to make yourself look ten years younger. You know that takes an awful lot of work. It might involve a good deal of distortion of what your face is like. You know, it, it's just about improving what is there, making you look like yourself on a best day. And that's what it can do. And that that's what I feel makes it really powerful stuff so people mock it a lot uh but that's where the real power of it is for a lot of women particularly when they're moving through their 40s you know a lot of my audience are mid 50s by that stage it's getting tricky what they come to me and ask will be can these things really help me or should i be looking at surgery which is a very honest uh, question and one I'm quite surprised to get because you know what we hear from non-surgical practitioners is that there's no need for surgery you can hold back the need for surgery forever uh, but it kind of depends on what you're trying to do and whether you've got a really saggy lower jaw chin that's disappearing into your face you know in which case all the injectables and energy treatments in the world aren't really going to do that are they you know you, you could do with a nice lower facelift so with all these things, it really depends who you ask about what. But, um, you know, there is a lot that can be done. You know that. Yeah. But for me, that's, that's the paradox because you get all of that. There, there's so many barriers. Price and people tell me it's a slippery slope. And once <laughs> they start, they can't stop. And what's their friends and husbands going to say? Well, that's what you're there for. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. The slippery slope. Uh, no, of yeah. course. Of course. Well, I am. Yeah, of course. But the, the paradox is that once they dip the toe... They go, ah, oh, this is pretty good. And they like it. And yeah. and all of that stuff melts away because they realise that it was all, well, 99% of it was in their mind. Of course you can get bad results if, yeah, if you go to an injector who doesn't understand. And of course you can overspend. And, and all of that is sort of true. But most people kind of go, actually, this is pretty good. And they don't turn in, yeah. and they continue. Well, it's human nature, isn't it? People, people are fearful of things so they don't understand. Yes, yeah, and they, yeah, they don't yeah. understand it, and they feel it's cheating, and they feel it's wrong in ways that they can't really define. 
and, and, and men will always say they don't want their other halves going anywhere near it because they've seen all the bad work. They don't yeah. want to <laughs> like that. They feel there'll be a laughing stock. Ah, uh, so it's it's tricky, but each each to their own. Um, and I'm really interested and really curious how I've been able to build up a following on Instagram. It's quite a small, but they are very engaged and they all talk curiously and enthusiastically about this area you know I'm not got big enough for people to be constantly in there sort of slagging me off for what I'm doing or talking about thank goodness I would find that quite hard to take but um you know with a few people anywhere I turn up to give a talk they'll say you should stop putting all that um, BS in your face and get real about things. It will fine, but I think you're in the wrong talk, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> talking about here. Uh, this industry is, there's new treatments coming on the market all the time, promising all sorts of miracle cures and amazing results. But what are the, like the most, I guess, comical or the, the biggest failures of all these fads that have been been promised or the flops? We're interested in some of the the comical or the horror stories or the ones that were just complete failures? Yeah, nothing I can think of that's been comical. <laughs> okay. um, though there's, uh, there's one, I don't know if you've got that. I, I don't pick up on, they're kind of sub-tweakments. They're things that go on in beauty salons rather than serious cosmetic treatments. But I, you know, people come through on Facebook or Instagram saying, do you know about this? Is it any good? Should I try it? It's one called BB Glow. Do you know that? No, I haven't heard of that it's one. It's like, you know, with microneedling. Uh, oh. Sorry. Talking to you, like micro, you know, microblading for eyebrows. Yes. Yeah. You make little cuts, you yep. smush pigment in it. This is a skin-coloured pigment microneedled into the whole face to oh give a smoother gosh. complexion. Oh. So it's like semi-permanent makeup. Extensive oh. What amount. could go I'm wrong? Dire. Dire. Yeah, what could go wrong? Yeah, <laughs> imagine. like a clown. Yeah. So I'd be like, no, God, stay away from it. You know, and how, how do you get rid of that? And if you try and take a laser to it, the whole face is going to explode. I, 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 I don't know. Um, so that's a really bad one. There's things like, I saw um, you and we've talked about things like Macrolane. Oh, that yes. So oh, yeah. It wasn't funny, no. Macrolane, people didn't don't know, was in the in the family of Restylane, Perlane, Duralane, all those lovely, um, lovely fillers from Qmed, as was. And it was a much thicker gel. It was for an instant boob jab. I mean, you should have seen the look on these guys' faces when I mentioned that one, because I mean, you know, we all re- remember it with with horror, really, don't we? Mm-hmm. It was not a great idea. It wasn't properly tested. Everyone was very excited about it. It got released onto the market far too soon. Caused a lot of problems. You know, injecting the breast, not a great idea with a thing that can sort of split up into different bits and cause nodules and encapsulations. Um, And was subsequently taken off the market, wasn't it, a couple of years later. Um, I tried that, of course. Seemed like a good idea at the time. And I was lucky to get away without without any lasting Oh, you didn't have any issues? Or did you get it dissolved? Um, it's going to be a lot of highlights. One side hardened up right. the first time, second time. Um, it was brilliant kind of instant result. Wow. This is, this is really handy. Um, the, the, the contracture around it had to be broken up by, by massage, which was really, really painful. Mm-hmm. But then I just let it go. went away and thought, right, that's, that, that's it. But, but I still get the occasional email from people saying, I had this, I've had problems for years and years. I mean, that was 
2007, eight, so it'll be a long time, you know, breast surgeons say, oh, God, what we would see, you know, that stuff gets everywhere. They say it's all in one coherent lump. It certainly isn't. Um, oh, dear. And um, Ayurveda, that was another one. Do you know Ayurveda? Mm-hmm. Build as a Botox alternative, it was a device with a little three-pronged fork, looks like a little, little trident, <laughs> three six-millimeter needles that you plug into the side of the head here, across the path of the nerve. Oh my god! Jeez, <laughs> the path wow. of the nerve which you've discovered by making it twitch beforehand and so then you're, you're electrocuting people basically liquid <laughs> nitrogen liquid nitrogen is passed through those prongs not into your head just to super cool the prongs and that super cooling because <laughs> liquid nitrogen is very 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 cold kills the nerve um so therefore you can't raise your uh, uh, we've got to get in touch with the manufacturer david do, uh, a, do a podcast. Um, you, you can I have had, the treatment I, I i'll commentate really yeah. i'd been pestering there was a british lovely british surgeon who was the um the, the kol for the brand introducing it i had been pestering him for the best part of the year saying oh can i try this can i write about it um because I knew it was a great story. <laughs> so he very rightly had been saying, wait till I finish my control group, my trial group. Um, so I waited. And then he got me in to be treated with a Daily Mail photographer in tow. And uh, the photographer was taking video as well. And I hadn't fully understood that you could. So they they stick it into your head, ow, ow, run the thing through it, all feels a bit sort of numb, and then take it out and you try and move your forehead. And you can have up to six cycles of it, I think it was, to, 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 to see if it would work. And one side, it worked after about two or three. Brow comes crashing down like this. Uh, the other side, uh, the, the other side simply didn't work, even after the maximum number. Oh, great. <laughs> I've got to walk out like this. And with one side, one side, eyebrow absolutely flattened down and the other side, boring, boring, working like normal. And it's all on camera here. I can't possibly go away and write anything other than as it is. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mate. I didn't mean this to be the story. But also, I hadn't hadn't really appreciated because it just simply severs the nerve. Um, there's no movement here at all. And the brow sits so low and so heavy. Ch- trying to get my contact edges in, you have to completely hoist the brow up. Jesus. Get it off. And I thought, oh, well, you know, this is this is how it is. Because that's, I'm afraid that's my not very grown up approach to it. And I had put myself up for this treatment. I had actively sought out the treatment. I'd insisted on having it. Um, and then I bumped into some lovely surgeon oh, Rajiv Grover who mm. who I adore at some conference and he said how are you and I said guess what I've just tried um thinking I might make him laugh but he was really angry and he said you are a complete fool he said that's permanent <laughs> nerve damage he said you know what's going to happen now and I thought it's going to grow back so, and he said you know that how I said because it says so in their marketing materials mm. and he's just like you know i'm late i've got to go on <laughs> to, to your talk and like, oh no oh dear but it did grow back it did grow back over the next three months and i was extremely grateful and i wasn't going to try anything like that again um 
yeah, the conference was the face conference, and there were the guys from the brand saying, Oh, do you know about over? And I said, Not only I had it done last week, and look what it's done to my face. And they just were absolutely totally silent, I think, because American and they 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 see the possibility of of, of litigation um yeah. coming up before you say anything more. Um and yeah, I of course, I had to write that piece for the mail as as I had found it. Oh, God. Um, and I still feel, <laughs> well, I, I had to say, and that was, I don't think it was a great treatment. And, 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 and there we go, though, I feel I did that poor surgeon a great disservice. Um, but still, somebody had to say it. Jeez. And um, yeah, so that wasn't very funny either. Um, well, there, there isn't really anything funny about it's funny now, but it probably wasn't funny then working out. Yeah. The, the strange thing was almost nobody noticed, you know, even among my sharp eyed beauty editor colleagues who you know, I'd go to all the events and whatever. And then I'd say, Hey, notice anything about my forehead. And they'd say, no. I said, well, look, look a bit closer. And then they were like, Oh, <gasps> completely appalled and yeah but but you, you didn't notice did you you didn't actually pick it up mm. it's amazing what people don't see um i i find even if i've done quite aggressive cosmetic procedures and people saying oh, oh what's the downtime how long will i have to whatever well it depends how ballsy you're going to be about it because if you just go out and carry on about your business nine people out of ten won't even do a double take and no one cares I find. either they're too busy looking yes. at their instagram yes. yeah <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> well, you know, it's the same as, you know, when you examine a patient's face in detail and you take the photos and you're like, you do know that, you know, just naturally one eyebrow is half a centimetre lower than the other one and you talk out of the left side of your mouth and your nasolabial fold on one side's like, you know, completely different. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no one, no, my point is no one looks at their own face, let alone other people's faces, until they come for an aesthetic treatment. And then they'll stare at their until face they find themselves, until they find themselves on camera. I mean, that's what 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 made me fret about the eyelid ptosis here, and I, it's made me super conscious of the way this this side of my face just doesn't work the same mm. way as the <laughs> other one does. And whether you know, lots of helpful people are constantly saying to me, "Have you had a stroke or something? Is one of the procedures <laughs> has something gone wrong and affected this side?" And you think. Maybe it does, but I have absolutely no idea. And then they all say, well, it all seems to set in since whatever. And, you know, if, if, if there are any videos of me further online, further back online than the last two or three years, they'll see it's there and it's a part of the nervous thing. But um, it's it's just sort of settled mm. in. And, and I don't care that much. Just listen to what I'm saying. Stop looking at my face so much. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> say that on Instagram. So I should always sort of talk like that. <laughs> So what what do you think makes an an excellent or successful practitioner? Because we, we've had this conversation on the podcast before, you know, the space is growing rapidly. There's so many people wanting to get involved and there's a lot of skilled people, but it seems that there are certain things that certain practitioners do that seems to set them apart. And what do you think those things are? Um, cause it's really difficult because people always say, what do I look for? What qualification do I look for? And obviously over here, you know, there, there are no particular qualifications. And, and you can say, well, they can be medically qualified. That's a start. That's good. But my GP is medically qualified. I don't want her sticking needles in me <laughs> uh, for aesthetic treatments. And then people say they need 
aesthetic training, lots of specialised training in aesthetic techniques, which of course they do, and, and, and techniques from a good provider. You know, how do you know they're going to a good training school? That's another real issue over here. They then need a lot of experience putting those trainings into action everybody gets better with experience anything they do you know i don't know one practitioner who says that after 10 years in in the in the field that they've got worse at something you know you do these things you get better so do you want somebody who's brilliant fresh out of college you know no you want them to have a lot of practice you you need to know that they have the competence to manage complications you sit down and ask them about this because no one's going to say voluntarily at the start of a consultation um well maybe you do maybe you do have you have you thought about how all the the things that can go wrong in this area i'm sure you do discuss it but it's not usually the first thing that comes to people's minds but if the practitioner doesn't recognize and can't handle any complications they cause us problems so you've got to have that in the skill set too but to your actual question above and beyond that, I think they need an artistic eye, which is the kind of thing it's impossible to test for or legislate for, because however much technical competence people have got, you know, you and I both know lots of people who are technically good. They'll get a good technical result. They'll know roughly what proportions of the face they're aiming at and how to move um, people's concerns in a direction that will be more closer to the ideal but whether they can do it and make people look lovely and make people look normal and make people look just like a nicer version of themselves rather than some template of instagram loveliness you, you, you know it's a very subtle thing but you know, we all know practitioners who can do it. And I feel that's what sets the good ones apart. And when you see them doing a treatment and you see the result, and there's a softening, a freshening, um, it's not simply having put the right bit in the right place and, you know, massaged it all into, in, in, into place in terms of injections or whatever. You know, that that's what um, that's what really makes a good injector. And preferably somebody who's got a nice manner with it so they can communicate to the patient what is going to be a realistic result what they can hope for what they can and can't do um you, you know you, you you can't over promise um but you just need to, and to reassure them that they are that the patient's going to get uh, something they'll be happy with and you know that so, so we it's trust as well, being able to gain people's trust that <laughs> you've got to deliver with the, the treatment um, because that will reinforce the trust, won't it? It's when the patient sees, you know, like you said, they've been a bit uh, about, about it before. Should we do this? Should we not? Maybe what's the point? And then they see and think, oh, I see. Um, they like that new look that the doctor's achieved, the practitioner has achieved. And it's that intangible extra usually comes down to artistry. I think that's what's the extra. Yeah, good answer. And I'm going to ask this question sort of in a different spin. If you're a doctor or an injector, what should those people be looking for from a journalist? If they're ever approached by, you know, a magazine or even a TV company or, you know, they may get some exposure, but how, how do you go about it in a way that's going to 
paint things in a in a you know wow. truthful light that's a really really good question i don't really know jake because because i hadn't thought of it um, because being a rather old-fashioned sort of journalist, and I will go and we're writing for the kind of publications where it's a very straightforward story. Um, you know, I will go talk to them about their work, watch treatment, try a treatment, film a treatment, whatever. Um, and I will be absolutely upfront about what I'm looking for, what I'm doing, what what we're thinking of beforehand. And probably you as a practitioner need to try and discover their intent with it because I hadn't even thought till you said you know are they coming in to make a sensational of it but to you know because what the the trouble is I feel like often the stuff I would write for the papers about this area seems to be quite boring because I take it all very seriously and so I uh, approach it and I discuss the research in the area and why this thing does that and what makes a more entertaining story, and newspaper features are largely entertainment, is if you send somebody who has no idea about this whole area. So they don't even know what they're coming in really to have done. And then it's more about them and their perceptions and whatever. And, and depending on who they are, you, you as a practitioner have absolutely no idea where they're going to go with that story. Mm. Um, and it does end up being often quite an entertaining thing, though I read them peeping through my fingers with horror, just thinking, oh, God, they've they've completely missed the point of this. They've misinterpreted the thing. They've got the name of the product the wrong way around. Or, you know, they talk about having Botox in their lips and all the rest of it. And, you know, when... I mean, as do some of my friends who come back from treatment, and I say, uh, all due respect, I don't think you had toxin in your lips. And they get a bit of fun to say, but you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if that practitioner didn't decide, did the doctor send you away with a, a list of uh, whatever because um, you, you may well have had toxin elsewhere, etc. I I'm flannelling around, Jake. I don't know. I don't. I think you need to try and interrogate their their motives. Um, what's the working headline that they're looking for? They may not know as a as a um, as a newspaper journalist. The one thing. I never see and don't know what they're going to come up with is the headline. Mm. Um, I write everything else. It'll be edited a lot, but you know, it can be the headline could completely subvert the whole thing. Depends on the paper. But when I wrote wrote about our therapy, when it launched, um, the, my immediate editor, editor, section editor had got wind of the fact that it was painful. So the photographer was on strict instructions to catch pictures of me looking in pain (laughs) i didn't entirely want to let the practitioner down by (laughs) mugging mugging up looking pain but they they, and i wrote the piece in an orderly balanced way it was really uncomfortable this was our therapy mark one in 2013 but the paper headlined it is this the world's most agonizing facial and there's so many things wrong with that. And you think, oh no, <laughs> it's not a facial, etc. Um, and the practice manager rang me up, lovely woman who I'd known a number of years, and said, "Well, thanks for that." She said, "Everybody is so bloody scared. Nobody's booking it at all." <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry. What can I do? Not all publicity um, is good publicity. Yeah. Is the moral of the story? No, it's 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 not. It's not. Um, but you know, you want it depends, and it depends what they're coming to you to do as well. I, I mean, 
I constantly see examples on social media. I saw somebody with nil experience of cosmetic procedures jumping totally in at the deep end and going off to try um, the profound radiofrequency microneedling, which is pretty savage. Uh, it's more painful than all the others. And he, oh, who thought that was a good idea? Um, you know, you want to gain in people's confidence by by starting with a little bit of something that will show a difference and not mm. throwing something really hardcore mm. at them like that. The other thing is people think of pain, managing pain, um, people's perceptions of pain. That's always a really interesting question, isn't it? And the journalists always focus on the pain. My editors always say, how painful is this on a scale of one to 10? And then because they reckon I'm a, a tough old bat, you know, who's done a lot of this, they usually notch it up a bit. So if I say something was a four out of 10, they'll, they'll amend the copy to say it was a six out of seven. <laughs> but, you know, you'll know for any person who is really keen to try a procedure, um, the pain is less relevant. It's and it's brief and it can be managed. You know, you have so many pain management strategies, you fillers that have anaesthetic in them, or numbing cream if people are nervous, or cooling fans around lasers. That people, I don't know. I I'm always more focused on the end result and think the pain is just a a whatever that that is an inconvenience along the way. But I can see for some people it's really, really major. And they say, I can't do anything needle-based ever. Um, and you say, you're going to have a vaccine? Um, and they're like, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it depends what you think is necessary mm. in your mind. Okay. Now, when Jake and I started this podcast, I don't think we really considered ourselves journalists. It was just more us having a bit of fun, having some interesting conversations. But as it sort of progressed, we've started to have some more um, serious conversations. We had one that was published last week um, on regulations and training on injectables. And we've got one coming up um, in a few more weeks, which is going to be equally as interesting and potentially controversial. Um, so as someone who's listened to obviously every single episode that we've put out, all 126, <laughs> and we know you're, you're a massive fan. I'm, I'm behind, what, guys, yes. I admit. Um, 126, congratulations. Thank you. So what advice could you give us to make the podcast better, more engaging um, from a journalist's perspective? That's difficult because, you know, <laughs> I think you were doing really well and I'm a big fan, as you know, and, and you are constantly learning as you go along all the things because in some of the earlier ones and I know this is addressed to an aesthetics community though you are obviously picking up larger numbers of you know the patient community consumers as you go along um I used to find it quite difficult to follow along sometimes just because I didn't have sufficient knowledge in the area but of course I quite enjoy that because I think this is a challenge but you now explain things much better up and down the scale. And it's difficult. You've got the head of some company in there that is doing a particular type of whatever at a very high level. You know, you need to talk at that level. And your practitioner audience wants to know that, particularly around the world, where they may not be using these things. But um, but you do now <laughs> you do now explain it for, uh, for, for, for others. And you work very well as a team as well. So I'm going to sit here saying platitudes because I haven't really got very many 
um, thoughtful things to say around this, but I do think you're doing a great job. And it's fab to know that you're picking up so many more people, downloads, listens, whatever you call them, um, because you know, and it's particularly interesting for something like me sitting in the UK hearing, I haven't heard your one on regulation yet, so I will listen to that, but hearing about things like the the chains, the laser chains, you know, which you did that a while ago, didn't you? And, mm-hmm. and I've never even heard of this group and how that had grown up and become so big. And, and that as a model for clinics and treatment, you think, wow, that's really interesting. And then you're going to think, why isn't that happening here? And just, to some extent, things are changing, and it is. So, yeah, just keeping up the variety, keeping it relevant to the less informed end of your of your audience as well as the, the higher ends. And, uh, yeah, more power to you. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. That's nice feedback. We'll, we'll, well, I think we'll just carry on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if I think of anything really sensible to say, I'll, I'll, no, I'll we, drop you a WhatsApp. We appreciate the feedback because it's the only way you sort of grow and learn and get better. Well, that, that laser... Um, clinic that you were referring to is now in the UK. It's called LC UK. Okay. So go okay. and check them I out. Look that up. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. basically the same model as far yeah. as I understand. Basically, yeah. And they look the same as far as I understand. I think so. I haven't been there, but so making a similar. quick note here, we've got Siphon lasers just arrived in the UK. Oh, there's, definitely where, there's definitely one in Brent Cross because my mum told me. So, oh, fab. So okay. go to Brent Cross. <laughs> yeah, no, Siphon just arrived and they, they were going to have a huge party in um, in, in Park Lane in the, in the Aston Martin showroom tomorrow oh. evening, um, which I think may be less of a big party. I think we've all got to go and get lateral flow tests um, oh my God. before Goodness tomorrow me. to prove it. I'm, I'm, I'm on the invitation, I'm, invitation as ceremonial host, which sounds a bit like sacrificial victim. <laughs> God, okay, I've got to turn up and not get too drunk. <laughs> so I think that's my main, my main duties. But uh, yeah, I'll, um, I'll go look this lot up. Sounds interesting. Brilliant. Well, Alice, thank you so much for joining us. We, we well, thank you. This, this was a long time in the planning and then COVID screwed everything up. So thank you for your insights. It's always nice to kind of hear a, a different spin on things rather than just talking to doctors all the yeah, time. Absolutely. And before we let you go, we'll get you to remind us of how people can get, get in contact. Um, people can find me, uh, my website is thetweakmentsguide.com. That's tweakments with an S and guide. But if you put in Alice Hart Davis and tweakments on the, the interweb, you will find me. And I'm on most social platforms. So Instagram is my main one. I'm pretty active on there. And I'm just Alice Hart Davis on there. So uh, yeah, go to the website because that's where all the real useful information is. And how do international injectors get onto your website as recommended doctors? Wink, wink. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's UK only. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a database of doctors. I'm trying to build it up. It is so difficult because the doctors are busy. I just want to have people on there who are good and doing great work, whether they're KOLs for brands or they're people I've worked with or people who are recommended to me by people I know already. So it's a, it's a kind of little black book, best of the best kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's no, obviously I'm, I'm not a registration system, but I want to say to anybody who comes onto the website, these are the people I would absolutely trust with my face. Therefore you can trust them. So, you know, there's about, two, three hundred more people I'm trying to get listed at the moment. We left it all last year because, you know, the whole business year, we, we hit COVID and we lost all our income sources and we just had to pivot and try and do other things. But, you mm. know, now we're 
back on the case listing practitioners one day I hope doing events and um yeah so international practitioners you know, the, the, the thing <laughs> you laughed at I, I get a lot of people saying I'm in Sydney and you know so I hope <laughs> some of those people are finally or they say I'm in Melbourne and and I know you'll say get on a plane or maybe not at the moment <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh dear oh dear it's so tricky but um not international at the moment but one day watch maybe. this space is what you're trying to say <laughs> Yeah, but it may have watched this space in a few years. <laughs> uh, I've got to be realistic about how fast things get done. Fair enough. We'll we'll, uh, we'll let you go now, but thanks for your time and we'll catch up soon. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you, thanks, Alice. Alice. Take care. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.